The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the third Bob Pritchard Radio Show for 2015. We're the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs, and we're going to be bigger and better this year. Two weeks ago, we brought you the show live from the Intercontinental in the heart of Sao Paulo in Brazil. This week, we're at the Intercontinental Hotel in Buenos Aires in Argentina. So we're getting a real global feel to the program. Now, this program's all about helping entrepreneurs to be successful. And I think this year is going to be a fantastic year for business, but especially for entrepreneurs. So if you're looking at starting your own business, this is absolutely the right time. It's like a wave, and this wave is going to get bigger and bigger through the year. And we'll continue to bring you advice and great interviews throughout the year so that we can help you maximize your success. You probably don't need reminding of this, but boy, time flies, doesn't it? It's 30 years ago tomorrow that one of the great musical events in history took place. We're the World, which was Michael Jackson and every major star in America singing We Are the World, and it was created by my friend Ken Cragen, and I'm really unfortunate to have Ken on the show today. This man is an absolute legend and proves over and over again that there is no such thing as impossible. Some of his stories are simply amazing and shows what you can do in any business if you persevere and reach for the stars. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I told you that it's now possible to hack fingerprints, for example, on the new smartphones. So just as we think we're safe, we're not. So we may well be safer with the word, number, and symbols passwords that we've been using for a long while and just changing them regularly. But too many people have really weak passwords and don't ever change them. If you're stupid enough, and millions of people are, to have the password password, then you join millions of other idiots who also use password and are just sitting there begging for somebody to hack them and steal all their money. Splash Data, a password management service, has revealed the most popular passwords from 2014, and this will kill you. 
One, two, three, four, five, six is the most popular password. Geez, that'd be hard to pick, wouldn't it? One, two, three, four, five, six. And password as a password comes in second. Now, I don't know whether that's simply lazy or it's just plain bloody stupid. Splash Data dubbed the list the worst passwords. And I so common. It's a terrible idea to ever use one of these super easy, obvious phrases. They looked at over 3.3 million passwords and the list of weak, pass, list of weak pass, uh, passwords isn't that much different from last year, which would seem to suggest that most people aren't paying attention to online security, despite the fact that there is a high-profile hack almost every day. And it's not that hard to create a strong password. Microsoft's got some tips. And you can check your password strength at the password meter. So go onto the password meter, put in your password, and it will tell you how strong it is, how easy it is to hack. So please, please stop making it easy for hackers with passwords like 123456. And for some reason, Monkey, (laughs) the top 10 passwords you should never, ever, ever use are 123456, password, 12345, 12345678, QWERTY. Now, I don't even know what QWERTY is, Q-W-E-R-T-Y, QWERTY. Well, that's the and then the sixth is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, zero. <laughs> Jesus. Baseball, dragon, and football, as well as monkey, ABC123, one, 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 and six, nine, six, nine, six, nine are also extremely popular passwords. That is the place where every hacker starts. So if you've got a really weak password, don't bitch, don't moan, and don't cry when somebody goes in and steals all your money. It's your own fault. So go to the password meter and see how strong your password is. Now, just when you think you've heard everything, have you, ever, have you heard about the new app called Invisible Boyfriend? It's for desperate females who don't have a real love life. So if you're a female, you can go onto the app, create your perfect partner, and then that invisible boyfriend will send you texts and voice messages, and very soon your invisible boyfriend will be able to send you flowers on special occasions like your birthday and Valentine's Day. It's kind of pretty weird, huh? The big surprise is that since they launched just a few days ago, Invisible Boyfriend is getting bombarded by women downloading the app. (laughs) And, you know, every woman you talk to thinks that men are weird and they're going and creating an invisible guy on an app. Okay. That follows my story last week about um, App P&P where – it's, it's the same as Airbnb, except um, it's for people who want to go to the bathroom. So you 
phone up, you register your house on Airbnb, and if somebody's driving down your street and dying to go to the bathroom, they knock on your door, they come in, they use your bathroom, and they go, and the uh, person who owns the house gets um, gets paid for it. Okay, I don't think I want 10,000 people a day coming in and peeing in my bathroom. Now, if the fact that you're almost certainly going to die prematurely and miss out on many valuable years with your loved ones isn't enough to stop you from smoking, maybe this will. The average American smoking one pack of cigarettes a day will spend at least one million dollars on cigarette-related expenditure over their lifetime. So the average Fred that's out there, he's got a works hard at his job, he's going to spend a million bucks on cigarettes. And that's and including the um, related taxes, healthcare costs, healthcare insurance premiums, workplace buy, all those things, it's a million bucks. Now, ask yourself, would you rather sit there and smoke cigarettes and spend a million bucks or would you rather take the million bucks and take a girlfriend to Paris or hire a hooker every night for the rest of your life? I mean, what would you rather do? A million bucks. And if you're looking for another excuse to quit, have a peek down the millionaires list. Most millionaires don't smoke. Now, it's pretty accepted women account for the lion's share of consumer spending, including online purchases, but if you believe that, you would be wrong. It turns out that men are the power shoppers when it comes to purchases made on smartphones and tablets. Now, here are the surprising facts about men's e-commerce and mobile commerce habits. The conventional wisdom is that women drive shopping trends since they control around about 80% of household spending. However, women account for just on 50% of online spending in the US. The new study found that men are more likely to make purchases on mobile devices than women. 2% of men made a purchase on their smartphone last, sorry, 22% of men made a purchase on their smartphone last year, compared with just 18% of women. And 20% of men bought something on a tablet compared with only 17% for women. And in a telling sign for the future, 40% of American men under 34 said they would ideally buy absolutely everything online and never go to a store. But only about 30% of women said the same thing because they like to go to the store, they like to get out, they like to chat, they like to do all that, but men... Happy to buy everything online. And this is the big one that surprised me. Men are avid users of online auction sites. You know where you go on and you bid and you see the ads on television where I got this 60-inch TV for $3.90 and all that? Well, 43% of men under 34 say they typically shop on at online auction sites compared to only 30% of women. I would have thought that women sitting in front of telly um, would have sat there with their um, laptop or whatever and been on there bidding for all this stuff that you can get cheap. But no, it's guys. Another big surprise for me is that men are much more price conscious than women. 
men of all age groups are much more likely to look for lower prices on their phones than women. And they're much more likely to buy things on their phone than women. So that is another surprise. And, of course, we're not surprised by the fact that male teenagers are much more avid e-commerce shoppers than their female counterparts. Among teens, the proportion of males who report shopping online, 86%, is 10 percentage points higher than that for teenage girls. So, guys, keep spending. Looks like you've got the started to take control of the, the household spending. Now, this next study that came out this week is absolutely no surprise for me. Nobody is using Google+, Plus. at least far fewer people than you might imagine. Despite billions of sign-ups for Google, hardly anyone actually does anything on Google+. Plus. The reality is that just 9% of Google's 2.2 billion users actively post public content. Summing it up, Google Plus is a dud. <laughs> Facebook's mobile ad revenue is growing at an astonishing rate and it's showing absolutely no sign of let up. You know, in 2012, Facebook said that um, mobile ad revenue did not generate any meaningful revenue from mobile. So just two years ago, they didn't generate any meaningful revenue from mobile. Now they've really pivoted. Last year, 45% of Facebook's $6.99 billion in ad revenue was derived from mobile. And next year, Facebook's mobile revenue will reach $7.39 billion. That's seven hundred and thirty-nine thousand million dollars. Thirty seven hundred and thirty-nine thousand million dollars from mobile ads. So uh, Facebook looks like it's on track next year to post eighteen billion in revenue. That's huge. Another interesting thing this week is that um, Steve Jobs once said, "As soon as you have a stylus for your tablet or whatever." You're dead. Jobs hated the touchscreen writing tools. But now, just five years later, and no jobs, there are reliable rumours that Apple is poised to introduce its own stylist for the new proposed iPad Pro. You know, it makes sense, really, because um, it's much more precise than a person's fingers. It's more convenient to use than keyboards and mouses and... Uh, I think Apple Stylus will improve the user experience. And everybody else, you know, um, Samsung Note 4, which is the, a big competitor, um, people love the styluses. Adding weight to the rumour, Apple has also numerous stylus-related patents, the most recent patent application being filed last December. Now, if you've got a business and you have an app for that business and you know you should because any uh, consumer-facing company really should have an app for the business, how often do you update it? You'll be surprised at the findings of a latest study because 
most businesses struggle to decide how much to invest in an app, whether they should have one, particularly in regard to updates. How often should we update? Well, according to a new app update study from BI Intelligence, more frequent updates lead to higher ratings from app users, irrespective of whether it's iOS or Android. So the study examined a number of different categories, including telecommunications, insurance, utilities, retail, social media, e-commerce, and they found that no app earned above average ratings with less than nine updates in the year. Now, the average app saw eight updates. And in 2014, Amazon, Walmart and Geico updated their respective apps well over 20 times and they earned the highest ratings. Now, my 22-year-old son tells me that the majority of his peers don't have television. They get everything they need from phones or tablets. And today it was revealed that over half of millennial viewers between the ages of 18 and 34 streamed Netflix content from a mobile device during the month of August last year. So that's that's incredible. Over half watch on Netflix and uh, and 36% of people over 35 stream onto a mobile device and over 55 it's still 30% which just shows that um, the growing popularity of digital video streaming onto mobile devices. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business and we're coming to you this week from Buenos Aires in Argentina and we're here to assist entrepreneurs to become successful. That's all we're here for. So if you have a question about any aspect of business, don't hesitate to email me at bob at bobpritchard.com and we will answer it on air or we'll email you directly. And don't forget, in about a week, my monthly newsletter comes out. It goes out to about 16,000 business executives in 63 countries every month. So sign up now. The next newsletter will be out in the first week of February. Now, my guest straight after the break is Ken Cragen. And Ken has managed some of the world's most important entertainers, including Kenny Rogers, Lionel Richie, Trisha Yearwood, Olivia Newton-John, the Bee Gees, and a whole bunch of others. And he has a belief that it's much easier to do the impossible than the ordinary. And that's enabled him to organise the historic recording session, We Are The World. He created Hands Across America. He played an important role in the original Live Aid and he staged part of the 1992 presidential inauguration of Bill Clinton. So don't miss this great interview. It will be after the break in just a moment. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. 
Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore. Or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business. Now, this is the part of the show where we talk to extraordinary people, people that have enjoyed great success and that are making a difference. Today's guest is a great friend of mine and an absolute legend. The things that Ken Cragen has achieved in his life to date are really unbelievable, and he's still going strong. There are some amazingly talented people in this world, and I, I love to speak with them because there's so much that they can teach us. And uh, Ken still does um, courses, which I'll tell you a bit more about later, but he's, he's teaching people every day. And my aim in these interviews is to find out what the characteristics are that these people have that makes them great and how each of us can learn from the lessons they teach us. Fasten your seatbelts, because this guy is something else. Ken Cragen is a graduate of UC Berkeley and Harvard Business School. His unbelievable career has touched on nearly every aspect of the music and entertainment business. He's managed some of the world's most important entertainers, including Kenny Rogers, Lionel Richie, Trisha Yearwood, Olivia Newton-John, the Bee Gees, and a bunch of others. He has a belief that it's much easier to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. Most of us strive to do the ordinary, and that's what makes a huge difference and what makes Ken what he is. This belief has enabled him to organise the historic recording session, We Are the World, in just 28 days to fight starvation in Africa. He created Hands Across America, a continuous line of 5 million people, holding hands from the Pacific to the Atlantic Ocean, raising funds and awareness for poverty in the US. Think of that. Organising, most of us have trouble organising a dinner party. This guy organises five million people to be at the same place, the same time, to link hands across America. That is amazing. He also staged NetAid, which was an unprecedented global charity event merging Cisco Systems Technology with the United Nations War on Poverty. He also played an important role in the original Live Aid with his friend Quincy Jones, staged part of the 1992 presidential inauguration of President Bill Clinton. He's one of the few private citizens to receive the prestigious United Nations Peace Medal, as well as two MTV awards, several Grammy nominations, the International Citizen of the Year Award, Ebony's Black America Achievement Award, 
and an American Music Award. Phew. Ken's the author of the best-selling book, Life is a Contact Sport. He's lectured at many schools, including USC, University of Tennessee, Harvard Business School, and each year teaches the highly popular Stardom Strategies for Musicians. It's a course at UCLA's Herb Alpert School of Music. One of the great things about Ken is the amount of work that he does for charities. Uh, Ken's a consultant for the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation, the renowned Jet Propulsion Laboratory, and a major fundraising project called Rally Song 100. Ken's about to co-host a new TV show called Inside Music. He's got two other TV projects in development, and he's writing a book called Doing Well by Doing Good with Tony Robbins. Well, it's not a bad... (laughs) I mean, most of us would be absolutely thrilled to bits with one fraction of that. But, you know, one of the things that Ken emphasises that I love about him and and people like him is that um, they give back to the community. The community's been so good to them, they give back. And I'd love to see more entrepreneurs and more entertainers giving a lot more back to the community. Hi, Ken. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. So I guess I have to retire after that introduction. Mate, <laughs> My I, God. Yeah, that's that's more than most people achieve in about 10 <laughs> lifetimes. The funny thing is, Bob, I currently have probably 12 different projects going. It's just kind of amazing. Uh, it's fun, you know. I never want to stop. Uh you know, my dad taught until he was 87 at UC Berkeley in the law school and Jeez. chaired committees to 95 and died in his sleep just before 98. And uh, I, I think he never regretted uh, being that excited about what he does. And it's one of the things I teach. You know, get do things that you're passionate about. Do the sure. things that you really, truly care about, and you'll never feel like you worked a day in your life. Is it? Is it bred into, are people born with this attitude or can you develop it? I mean, I wake up in the morning and I'm bubbly and feel great and I'm excited about tackling the day. You know, I get high on fresh air. You know, I've never touched drugs or anything in my life. I just, I'm just happy about being able to do new stuff. And you're, you're obviously got that in spades. So are we born with it or can anybody do it? You know, I, I really, you know, I have 143 students at UCLA in my class, and I really try to bring home to them in the 10 weeks that they're with me the idea of that word I just mentioned earlier, passion. That they got, that, you know, it's that old thing, you probably heard it many times before, find something that you're passionate about, that you love doing, you know, and yep. whether it pays you a dime, you'll get up every day excited to go to work. Yeah. And I, I really think that um, that's the key to it. I I try to find projects constantly uh, through a whole variety of areas and concepts that I have fun with, that I enjoy, that I'm excited about, that I can get up in the morning and hardly get to, you know, wait to get to. Yeah. And that doesn't mean I, I ignore family or friends or even taking vacations, but it, it means that I'm engaged in everything I do. I have fun with everything I do. There's a lot of discussion these days about the fact that half the people in the top um, 100 most successful people in the world didn't go to college or certainly didn't finish college and yet have been enormously successful. Um, You're a graduate of 
Harvard Business School, and yet you end up managing entertainers for much of your career. So did that master's degree help you, or could you have started four years earlier? You know, it's interesting. I was I was offered a job just before I went off to Harvard Business School to produce concerts for a group called the Kingston Trio. Turned out within months after that, they had the number one record in the country and sold out everywhere. They were the original kind of touring folk group, you know. I remember but, them well. <laughs> yeah, and I hated to turn it down. It wasn't a job managing people. It was a job... Uh, producing their concerts because I had produced the first concerts for them when I was at Berkeley at UC, yeah. UC Berkeley, but my dad, who was a you know a dean of students and professor at UC Berkeley, said to me, "Look, if you don't go to Harvard Business School now, you've been accepted. If you don't go now, you'll never go back, and you'll really miss out. And uh, take the next two years, go there and." and get a master's degree and you won't regret it. And I went off to to Harvard uh, and quickly thereafter felt I'd made a big mistake because the Kingston Trio became the hottest <laughs> uh, band in the country. But, but, you know, when I got out of Harvard, this is the interesting part of that. I got out of Harvard and I and I actually started managing a group right away. They came to me asking me to be their executive secretary and I boldly said I'm not I didn't spend a couple of years here to be an executive secretary. Uh if you want a manager call me and they did. And I started managing this group, but I found very quickly that I had to bury the fact in those early years that I was a Harvard Business School graduate, that the music industry, which was not corporate in the sense it is nowadays or yep. for many years now, the music industry looked, particularly the performers, looked down on me if they found out I had that kind of educational background. Sure. So I kept it literally a secret for basically 20 years. Wow. I mean, you know, I, I never touted it. It was never the first thing on my resume like it is now. And then, interestingly, in 1979 or 80, I was uh, in a meeting with Lee Iacocca, uh, you know, the former yep. head of Chrysler, sort of the guru in business, the number one spectacular he was at that time the hottest man in the industry and in, in, in any yep. industry sure that's true and i was in a meeting with him with kenny rogers and his wife and myself we had just made a million dollar deal with dodge and um all the questions were going and being directed at kenny right and every question and even if he didn't know the answer he was trying to answer it. <laughs> and suddenly a question came up that kenny couldn't answer and uh, Iacocca's number two guy at Chrysler turned to him and said, I think Ken Cragen ought to answer that. You know, he's a Harvard Business School graduate. It was like a light went off in the room. Yeah. All of a sudden, every question was being directed at me. Yeah. And when I went down in the elevator afterwards, suddenly one of Iacocca's men came to me and said, could we have your card? Mr. Iacocca wants to stay in touch with you. And I became friends with him. And from that day on, the concept of Harvard Business School and the fact that I was a graduate of it became actually a calling card for me. Because, And the difference was that industry had started to get actively involved in the entertainment field. The Rolling Stones did a commercial for Budweiser, yep. which was a huge breakthrough. No groups had done that. Yep. And all of a sudden, it became a strong point 
And, you know, nowadays, it, as I said, it's one of the first things that I try to get out there. Although, you know, I do, I want to add one more thing. I don't ever try and, I really try hard never to think of myself as a big deal. Sure, I've done some big things and I've been very fortunate to be in the right place at the right time and then take advantage of the opportunity. But I think the best thing probably that I can point to in my life is that I never look at myself and say, oh my God, you know, you're some big deal. You did all these things. It, I, I, day to day, I never think that. I've got to say that I find you to be very humble and I also find you be, to be the first person that jumps in to help anybody with anything. So I'll, I'll, in, I'll endorse that. You know, I've got a couple of degrees and I don't talk about them at all. And to, to me now, they seem superfluous. You know, I don't know why I spent all that time. Now, yeah. let's get to the important thing. Tomorrow is the 30th anniversary of one of the great events of our time i think the the musical anthem we are the world that just took the world by storm it was enormously successful nobody had ever done anything like it before so that's 30 years ago tomorrow it doesn't seem it's hard like to believe right ago, i don't it? think i've aged a bit <laughs> no yeah mate you look exactly i was looking through your photos you know i see you every week but i was looking through your photos this morning and i thought he hasn't changed since his 20s <laughs> well it's, it's hanging out with a lot of young people having a young daughter in college in grad school now yeah. who's a wonderful filmmaker and and sticking and teaching young people and hopefully inspiring them I think that has a lot to do with it. And then just staying tremendously active, both physically, because I work out three, four times a week and walk every day, but also mentally. You know, I yeah. think that's the key to so much nowadays. So but anyway, we- tomorrow is a very, very significant day. 30 Absolutely. years ago, uh, you know, uh, tomorrow on Wednesday, we, you know, we put together 45 of the biggest artists in the world uh, singing this marvelous anthem that Lionel Richie and and Michael Jackson wrote uh, with Quincy Jones's spectacular production. Yeah. And the amazing thing is that that song has endured to this day. I mean, the organization we formed then, USA for Africa, is still alive, still going strong. I'm still on the board, uh, and we still distribute money. We wow. kind of get together as a board group and, and, and chuckle because so many charities are struggling to raise money and we just keep getting checks coming in to this day 30 years later uh and we do continue to do good works in africa we have practically no overhead we have one basic employee uh and we run a a very tight ship and it's been a great organization uh but you know the story of that is kind of fun i think your listeners might you know and there's some good lessons from it this idea wasn't initially well, what happened was, I have to give all the credit to Bob Geldof in England, who yeah. saw these terrible pictures of children dying in Africa, yeah. and organized a group of artists to do a song called Do They Know It's Christmas, and they recorded yes, it yeah. before Christmas, you know, in London, uh, with a group, and those same visuals that spurred Bob, uh, inspired Harry Belafonte here. They were being, Tom Brokaw insisted that NBC show the same pictures of children dying. There had been kind of a, a, a subtle thing where the networks didn't want to show that kind of thing. They felt sure. it was late night, you know, the Christian Children's Fund or something like that. And they wouldn't show it, but Brokaw got them to show it. Belafonte uh, picked up the phone and called me and said, 
we've got to do something. Let's do a concert to create um, money for uh, the African effort. Uh, I had been trying to put a concert together for U.S. hunger for about a year with no luck. And so I said to Harry, look, I don't think we need to look any further than what Geldof just did in England. We've got bigger artists who are selling bigger here than the ones he had on that record, at least most of them. Yeah. Uh, let's do a record. And he said, great, you know, think about it, and I'll call you in a few days. Well, I hung up after literally two hours on the phone with Belafonte. Uh, picked up the phone, asked Kenny Rogers if he'd do, be involved. He said yes. Called two or three mother, of my other clients. I was the perfect guy in the right spot with the right client list, with the right connections, you know, the hottest management company in the business. And I, I drove from there to pick up Lionel Richie to take him to the American Music Awards rehearsal uh, with Dick Clark. Right. And uh, I asked Lionel if he would do the song, if he would write it. I wanted him to write it with Stevie Wonder. Uh, I'd always wanted them to do something together, but Lionel couldn't get Stevie on the phone. In the meantime, I called Quincy, who was getting on a plane, actually. To, it was the day before Christmas, two days before Christmas, really, and um, 1984. And Quincy said, great, I'll do it. I said, well, can you get Michael? And he said, "I'll uh, let me give it a shot, because Michael was literally the hottest artist in the world. Yeah, Michael absolutely. Jackson. Yeah. So he called me back shortly and said, Michael not only wants to do the song, but he wants to write it with Lionel and Stevie. Only problem was, and this is a fun story, only problem was that Stevie Wonder was unreachable. Lionel tried all night and never got him. Right. But the next morning, the day before Christmas, Lionel's then wife, Brenda, goes into a jewelry store to pick out some gifts. And who walks in but Stevie Wonder? <laughs> And I don't know if he, you know, he couldn't see her, so I don't know if he thought she was, if he knew she was Lionel's wife or if he thought she was an employee, but he asked her to help her, help him pick out some jewelry. Right. And she said, not until you return my husband's call. <laughs> and they got Lionel in a dentist chair. They found Lionel in a dentist chair, and Stevie agreed to write it with Michael and Lionel. Only problem was, Stevie promptly disappeared for a month. Nobody could find him. He'd gone off to Philadelphia over the Christmas holidays. He didn't come back until the day he came to the studio, the night we were recording the demos. The song was already written, although it took Lionel and Michael right down to the wire to get it done. Yeah. But we were doing the demos to send out to the artist, and he walked Stevie Wonder, and he said, okay, let's write the song. <laughs> And uh, unfortunately, a, a, man, a man who can't see can't see everybody's mouth drop open when he said that. You know, but uh, they sat down, they played him what he what they'd done. He made a few suggestions, and he left. And then we went on to record. And um, but that was one of the many great stories from it. I'll share one other with you that I think is very important for your listeners. In, in, you know, really, uh, there's a there's an incredible Thornton Wilder quote that I use often and has been an inspiration to me, and it's that every great thing balances at all times on the razor edge of disaster. Yeah. And I've found over my career that those crisis moments, where the bigger the crises, usually I'm, the more likely I'm on the right track to do something really major. Yeah. And this was the night before the actual recording. Uh, we were doing it on the night of the American Music Awards, so I was at the rehearsal, 
at the Shrine Auditorium here in Los Angeles that night. I was backstage at rehearsal for the American Music Awards. Many of the stars on the awards were going to come the next night to record with us. And I was approached by one of the the major artists' uh, managers, to, a rock artist, saying the rockers don't like the song and they don't want to stand on the stage next to the non-rockers. They, they felt that the, the a pop song like it was uh, you know, which had not obviously been accepted the way it had been later by the public, yeah. a pop song, and these pop artists would somehow diminish the stature, the hipness of the rockers. So he said, we're going to leave. And at that point, I said, look, if you're going to leave, go. I mean, there's nothing we can do about it. Yeah. But I, but, and I said, we're going to be there tomorrow night recording. What happened next is really pretty amazing. They went to Bruce Springsteen, and they asked him to leave with him. I don't know how many of them were going to leave yeah. or what. All I know is Bruce said, I'm not going anywhere. I came out here to save lives. I came out here to feed people, and I'm going to be there tomorrow night. That's and they all would have looked, you know. So so Bruce saved the day. He literally saved the day. Lionel Richie has a wonderful line, you are who you hug. Yeah. And they all wanted to hug Bruce Springsteen. So. Yeah. Well, it, you know, it's it's incredible because you know most of these people don't have small egos, and to get all of them together and all of them cooperating like that is an extraordinary feat. If if you ask people, um, do you think it's possible? People would say, no, it's not possible. They're never going to work together, and uh, that's what I think so great about your um, your quote. It's easier to do the impossible than the ordinary. You know, it, it's dreaming a dream that ordinary people won't dream. Well, you know, the, the thing is, I teach the fact that you cannot sell anything to anybody, whether it's a product, an idea, a company, or yourself. You can't sell anything to anybody unless you get their attention. Yeah. And you can't get their attention unless you do something that's unique or special. It's got to have substance to it. Once you get their attention, somebody's got to be willing to take action. And it's got to be unexpected. And in order to be, when you, when you set out to do the ordinary, it's not unique. It may have substance to it, but it's not unique. It's not unexpected. It's been done before. And people go ho-hum. Yep. When you start out to do the impossible, people go, oh, my God, they're talking about it. Oh, yep. he's never going to do that. I mean, put five million people, and actually it turned out to be almost six and a half totally. People from New York to L.A. holding hands, no way. But once there's a little spark that maybe it's going to succeed, people jump at it because yep. they know it's something historic. It gets its own. So I, I try to take every project up a level. If I'm meeting with you about a project, I'm trying to find a way to make it bigger than you ever dreamed of, to make it literally on the edge of impossibility, if not almost completely there. So are there lessons to be learned from these seemingly impossible projects that the average person can apply to their lives? I mean, the, the average guy that's going out there, or even the average entrepreneur who's got some project that he's working on um, how does he apply the impossible to his environment well I you know there's several lessons out of these things I think one of the first ones is to stay naive I just you know we all talk about how wonderful it is to keep that childlike quality the co the concept that you don't know it can't be done 
Yeah. You know, yeah. you as far as you're concerned, I once worked for American Aviation, uh, uh, for National Aviation, uh, and we had them. There were there were milling wings to one thousandth of an inch. And they decided for these new planes, they needed to do 10 times that. They needed to mill the, the wings to one ten thousandth of an inch. They went to every one of their experienced millers and nobody could do it. They hired a group of people who had never milled before. They taught them that the, the tolerance had to be one ten thousandth of an inch and they did it. They didn't yeah. know it couldn't be done. Yeah. It was a great lesson. And the fact is that I, one of the things I tell people is stay naive. Think big, of course, thinking the idea of taking whatever concepts you're working on. How do you create the wow factor? You know, when I, when I speak, I always have a marching band march through. Yeah. And I get people, and I, and, and I get people's attention that way. When that band leaves, I say, look, where is the marching band in everything you do? Not necessarily the actual band, although sure. be my guest, have them come. <laughs> but where is your version of the marching band? Where's your wow factor? What is going to get people to pay attention here? Where and how are you going to get their attention? So the second thing really is try to take whatever you're doing and think, where's the wow factor in this? Where's the marching band in that? I think that's really important. I think it's also extremely important to use music in virtually everything you do. Sure, it's an amazing, you know. You know, I, uh, I, I've heard the quote, uh, it was in the Christian Science Monitor, I can't remember the gentleman said it, but he said, music is the language we use when we're speechless. And music is the incredible motivator. If you look at every big project I've done, music is somehow involved. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's a great force. So those are just some of the things. There are a bunch of lessons from them, but I know we don't have time to go into that, all of them here. That's very encouraging because if um, being successful comes down to naivety, I should be, any minute now, I should be a massive success. <laughs> You know, there's one other thing, just in terms of my overall success in my career, one of the things that I have viewed is the concept of reading my gut and my first impression on things yeah. and not talking myself into something. That when something comes up, I try to react to it as I would if I had nothing to do with it or not involved and see how do I react to that. And in, yeah. I've been very lucky that that seems to be the way the general public will react. And and I, if I sit around and get talked into it or talk myself into it, it's usually the wrong thing to do. Or talk yourself out of it. Yeah, well, talking myself out of it is another question. You know, there's always in every project that mo that feeling, you know, you wake up, the middle of the night and go, God, are we really going to pull this off? <laughs> and the key is you don't throw the towel in, you know? Yeah, you right. overcome the obstacles, you find a solution. Gosh, I've been there in every project. There's always some moment at which you could just quit. and But you don't. If you believe strong, if you're passionate about it, if you care, if the cause or the project is worth it, you find a way to make it work. So if... And if your incredible career, I mean, it really is an amazing career. If there's one thing that you can point to that's had a, a, a played a large part in that success, what is it? 
Well, it's probably partly what I just said, the ability to read my gut, but it's also something that I have tried to teach without much luck, and that is judgment about what what artists have talent, what truly what is truly superstar talent, even when it's at a brand new artist. What is that extra thing, that extra dimension that's going to allow this person, if we do it right, to become a major star or allow this project, if we hang in there and really work hard at it, to be a huge success? It's, it's, it's not that I haven't picked some losers. I have on occasion or some things that didn't happen, but there's always been a good reason. And what I've learned to do is trust my judgment about that extra dimension whether it's managing an artist, which is a big part of my career, or was certainly a big part of my career, or if it's picking the projects to to really, you know, get behind, uh, I'm always looking for uh, that that piece that it truly excites me, that gets me, you know, just thinking about all the ways I can make a difference here. Get me, and it's passion. It's back to the first word. You know, and this, by the way, in my class, 10 weeks, every single week, I have some major superstar guest, whether it's Lionel or Quincy or David Foster, the big producer, yep. or people like that. Uh, Tom, Tom Beers of Fremantle always comes to my class. He's a, he's a great guy. They all talk? say, oh, isn't he? Yeah. Oh, my God. Great guy. Oh, he's... He, some of his quotes in my cl- in my class are some of the best ever. I, I'll share two of them real quick with you. He says, "Even if the even if the mule is dead, keep loading the wagon." <laughs> <laughs> the other one was taught by his he by his you know he was an actor. Before, now he's the head yeah. of Fremantle. For your yeah. listeners, the person we're talking about basically is the head of Fremantle, which does American Idol, The Voice. Yeah. Is he has 22 shows on the air right now. Yeah. But he was an actor, first and foremost. And when he was an actor, his acting he said to his acting coach, how am I going to deal with all of the difficult, impossible people in this industry? And the coach said to him, his coach was a very famous coach in New York, I forgot the name, and he, his coach said to him, hug the cactus and ignore the pricks. <laughs> well, you know, I, I spent... Um, Twenty years as a performer back a long time ago, and um, I I've come across you know the early stages of some superstars in my day, and they always stand out. You know, you you look at somebody and you say this person is going to be a star. It's just some sort of inherent quality that they have that ninety nine percent of other people don't have, and so I'm one of those people that believes that. Stars are born. Sure, they get you know the more training you've got, the better you are. But they're born. Do you agree with that or not? Yeah, there is an extra dimension to stars. Uh, there's a drive. Sometimes there's a lot of insecurity that drives Absolutely. them too, which is yeah. something that I, you know, as a manager, you always had to deal with. But Very by hard. the way, when we're talking about stars, and this being a business show. You know, the, the, I define stardom uh, as a, in very broad terms. Uh, I tell people you can be a star in whatever you do, yeah. no matter where you are. Think that way. In fact, going way back, one of the most interesting interviews I ever did was with a guy named Hugh Hauser for Entertainment Tonight, way back yeah. in the early days of entertainment. And he said to me, why does an entertainer need a manager? He said, you know, a house painter in Des Moines doesn't need a manager. I said... Uh, listen, Hugh, I said, let me turn that around on you. I could take 
the career of a house painter in Des Moines, and I could apply the same principles I have applied to Lionel Richie and, and Kenny Rogers and Olivia Newton-John and the other stars that I've managed, those same principles, they wouldn't become the biggest entertainer in Des Moines, they'd become the most successful house painter in Des Moines. Yeah, that's true. Using the same principles. And so, he, anyway, it aired, that, that, that aired on Entertainment Tonight, and the next day I came into my office and my secretary said to me, Ken, you're not going to believe this, but on your desk are 30 calls from house painters in Des Moines. <laughs> I love it. Wait, 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 wait. That's when I really, you know, I had to put up or shut up. That's when I sat down and wrote a book and said this can work for anybody, you know. Unfortunately, Ken, we're out of time. So thanks very much for joining me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. I really, really do appreciate it. And I look forward to catching up with you again in a week or so at Metal. Now, if you want to find out more about Ken, go to kencragen.com. That's K-E-N-K-R-A-G-E-N.com. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show right after this short break. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network you are listening to the bob pritchard radio show to connect with bob please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com that's bob at bobpritchard.com now back to the show Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit business show for 2015, coming to you this week from Buenos Aires in Argentina. Now, this is a segment of the show where we bring you emails from listeners all around the world, no matter whether you're in Madrid or New York, all small businesses and all businesses in general have the same issues. So this segment I hope will be of help to all of you. My first email, my only email today, comes from Alan Sinclair from Glebe, which is a suburb of Sydney in Australia. And uh, we've got a lot of listeners in Australia, and it's, um, it's midday tomorrow there right now. Dear Bob, thanks for an excellent show. I've seen you speak several times, and you're always terrific. Well, thank you. Um, you talk on the show a lot about the need to do research, irrespective of whether you are a big company or a small company. This sounds really good, but research is expensive and all of the small business people that I know really cannot afford it. So how do you do research without having a lot of money? Alan, that's a bloody good question. Um, It's not easy, but there are ways that you can do research yourself. Um, You can take advantage of free websites and free or low-cost tools such as online polls, as well as simply talking to people and observing what they do. Now, this you know, it mightn't be as detailed as the professional market researchers churn out, but it can be good enough to help you really hone your marketing strategy. Uh, the first step, make sure you've got a detailed customer database so that you can track purchase history and preferences. Your point of sale system or your customer service management software, that can provide you with the tools that you need. You need to capture their email addresses, home addresses, and their zip codes. Um, And by that, you can determine catchment areas and it'll assist you in selecting the right advertising and promotional vehicles. 
Um, you need to know who, what your customers want, where they are. So use services such as Constant Contact, SurveyMonkey, Zoomerang. There's quite a few of them who provide free or low-cost surveys for your website or to distribute your email, Facebook or Twitter. I hope that's a help to you. I'm sorry I've run out of time, but um, we will send you out a copy of Marketing Magic, which is a book I wrote a few years ago with Brian Tracy, Jay Conrad Levinson and Robert Bly, and I'm sure that you'll enjoy it. We'll get that off to you tomorrow. So if you're a regular listener to the show and are benefiting from the friends that my guests and I give you each week, please tell your friends to listen. Go to my website at bobpritchard.com and subscribe to my newsletter. Uh, Don't forget that if you have a particular guest you'd like me to interview or a particular topic you'd like me to address, please email me at bob at bobpritchard.com. Thanks for listening to the Bob Pritchard Absolutely No Bullshit Business Radio Show for Entrepreneurs on Voice America Business. And remember, it is much easier to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. Next week, I'll be back broadcasting from my home in Los Angeles. This is Bob Pritchard, and I hope you have a fantastic week. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.